I'm wondering when the uh, band is going to arrive to play the music. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't turned up yet. Sorry, Alan. No, no, they haven't. They're not coming. That's the best part okay. of the podcast. You, 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 <laughs> Hello, <laughs> listeners. Welcome back to Even More Eyes. It's our year's roundup review episode. As we Happy said last episode, um, to us. but what's really funny is that that would actually make it four years since this podcast was actually proposed. And the reason yeah. for that is because of wow. what yeah, we, we spent three years in pre-production. Yes. We, yeah. We, we, we spent three years <laughs> longer in than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> One of the people who actually made this possible is here with us to do our roundup review. So say hi, Alan. Hello there. Okay, that's not your normal speaking voice, but we'll take it. And, um, <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. Hello there. Hello there. I know, like, yeah, I know. I, I think it's also kind of like pushing for us to do Star Wars at some point, but that's only after I've had yeah, you, enough you want to Red Bulls. Yeah, and, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Apart from the, we won't yeah. discuss the Disney trilogy. No, 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 no. Alan's role in the beginning of this podcast is that Humphy Boy and I met because Alan was moving house and then i helped them move and then i stopped helping him move to talk about film with a complete stranger and then they told us to fuck off and start a podcast so here we are, <laughs> one we year are. Later. <laughs> <laughs> so um today's episode is our year's roundup review thingy and uh we're just going to talk through worst film we've seen yeah. over the last podcasting year then our best film we've seen over the last podcasting year then our best episode that we've done, or what we each think is our favorite episode, and um, Alan can chime in because he's actually one of our avid listeners. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a regular listener of the podcast. You know, I want to support both of you, and it's been fun and entertaining over the year. Hmm. Good. <laughs> Thank you for that. We'll put that on the uh, TripAdvisor. <laughs> How much am I getting paid for this? <laughs> we'll uh, we'll sort that out with your uh, but you got then, an agent. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid. I think what what's the last thing we're going to talk about? Just our um, honorable mentions from from the year as well, right? Yes. So yeah. So worst film. I'm just going to let you guys have it because we all know how I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let the you know guest start first. What was your yeah. worst film of last year? I found this quite tricky to to decide because I thought it was actually a fantastic year for film, but I think for me the film that was really disappointing was the French Dispatch. <gasps> found it a bit banal. It was very samey. I know it's the particular style that Wes Anderson uses, but I didn't find it interesting or engaging. I found it a bit... It was just a bit up its own ass. That's what people come to this podcast for, that level of <laughs> area type. It's a bit up its ass. <laughs> I, I walked out of the film not really knowing what it was trying to communicate to me, what what the message was. It, it just self indulgent, yeah, it was self indulgent, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong; there were some really really good elements to it, really good scenes. I thought visually it was interesting. They, his sort of films mm. are, yeah. You know, I really liked mm. um, Hotel Budapest. Grand, yeah, the Grand, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hotel. The Grand, yeah, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hotel yeah. Um, but yeah, this one just felt a bit flat because it was broken down different sort of sequences and some of them just went on and on <laughs> whereas others were quite short and actually would have liked to explore that a bit more but 
yeah, otherwise I wasn't really sure what the purpose of the film was about and what what it was really trying to get across to its audience. Yeah. I think if it had any message at all, it was just saying that writers who are slightly eccentric or esoteric should just be allowed to to write what they want and that maybe our current form of journalism, if it's a reflection on that, just doesn't have that anymore. But even so, after a while, you are just, you know, this is much the same story being told over five different whatever, like vignettes, I suppose. Mm. So yeah, it didn't really, I mean, it didn't work for me. I just thought it lacked a, a call. Like at least with Budapest Hotel, you had that central relationship between Ray Fiennes and, and the other guy. So, and I just didn't yeah. see that in this. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just really disappointing because I like his stuff. Mm. He's d- done some really great films. And so I went in, I think, with higher expectations and just came out quite disappointed. That's very sad, actually, to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a sort of a good sort of emotional moment here on the podcast. How many of them do you? So who gravely disappointed you this year, Humphrey? Well, actually, that's the appropriate word, disappointed. Um, <laughs> I went to see Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. And that, mm. for me, was one of those films where within about 10 minutes, you just knew all the steps that this particular story mm. was going to take. And I think that yeah. it seemed to me Marvel, with this, were trying to do that conventional superhero narrative. How does this guy go from being... Mr. Down on his luck to the hero or realizing his destiny. Father son issues again. And yeah. the twist on it obviously is trying to pick up upon certain themes that may be relevant to the Chinese American community. And the only yeah. interesting thing, the critique, uh, which isn't my critique, there's another guy on YouTube called Accented Cinema. And he made a really good point about the film, which was that in a sense it also reinforces that idea of the permanent foreigner and then the funny thing really upon reflection is when we watched mummy curse of the dragon king or whatever it was to see poor (laughs) michelle yao or michelle (laughs) in exactly the the same same role role. (laughs) (laughs) and you just think this is this is just sad it's like oh we'll just wheel out michelle you know yes uh, guardian leader of the whatever you know she has some Mm. gravitas it's just yeah. very, very, very disappointing. I just, I remember just yeah. getting to the end of it thinking, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, here we move on. <laughs> um, it's, okay. What's funny about that film is like, when I went to see it, my expectations were like, okay, this is just going to be Marvel's pop cinema superhero flick with an Asian American in it, and they'll probably mm. throw in some mild Asian Americanisms, and then we will carry on from there. And that's exactly what I got. So just like, I don't even know how to be disappointed because you gave me exactly True. what I was expecting. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, fine. Yeah. I think if the problem is it could have been braver in, in telling yeah. that story of mm. um, Asian American experience. And it just felt a bit cliched in terms of its iconography and its storytelling and when it comes to China, it's all the usual tropes that are coming through. And here we go, family again, filial piety. That was the yes. main theme. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those oh, two themes we just talked about connect to my own worst film of the year, and I'm not going to get flack for this by from a lot of people. But I'm sorry, I just couldn't. You know when something 
annoys you so much that you are not even angry at the end of the film. Like, you are laughing at how annoyed you are. God, what's it going to be? And I know, yeah. That, <laughs> the, tension, the tension is building. <laughs> it actually really, like, connects to both of you's worst films because it has that element of filial piety and brotherhood and whatever as one of its main themes and a family and, like, all that shit. But then also... <laughs> The reason why I felt annoyed by it is because I went in with the expectation that this was directed by somebody that I love and respect. And and then I saw that I was like, absolutely fucking not. And that was West Side Story. I cannot. (laughs) I could not with West Side Story. Like, I sat through that film thinking... (laughs) Bitch, what the fuck? (laughs) Didn't you leave singing and dancing in the aisles? I would say exactly I think that's the only thing that stuck for that entire film like the uh, America song what I would give it props for is that the choreography was incredible some of those group dance sequences were so well done Mm. but then the actual plot line just had me going like (laughs) what was making me laugh uh, in the film is that Spielberg had decided to put it in what looked and felt like a real setting and was trying to really push some of the tensions, which obviously is in the original stage musical between the Jets and the Sharks and there's obviously an ethnic basis for it. What got me was, so you had these guys sort of working the... uh, working in the construction yards and knocking stuff down and then they walk out, you know, striding along and then suddenly go, you know, <laughs> jazz bands and, <laughs> and so well choreographed and it looks very well rehearsed. Yes. And like, the thing that was bothering me the most was the actual plot line. And I know it's yeah. like built around the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. Right, so Juliet, obviously it yeah. takes some of the same like ridiculousnesses of it. But then there were just some scenes that seemed so like stretched out almost to the point of like making me squirm in my seat. And then there was that whole weird like sexual um, assault scene that I was just like, ma'am, we could have done without. And, you know, it just seemed very... Like, I get it. They were trying to give the whole thing of, like, antagonism and tensions and stuff like that. But it just seemed very... I don't know. Something about it just felt dissonant with itself. It just... I don't know. But I got to the end and I was like, this film just makes me feel weird. To the point that I started laughing at that feeling. Because I'm just like, everything about this is is rubbing me the wrong way. And I need to leave. But I paid enough money for this film and I, 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 I God, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy it god damn it I, i'm going to sit through through this to the end and at least if i'm going to be angry at it i'll be angry completely i don't know i just wasn't feeling it like it wasn't doing yeah. it for me and that's bad considering that last year i also watched mortal kombat <laughs> <laughs> with west side story what didn't work so well for me was Probably less than I thought it was going to, to be fair. But he did lean into some of the iconography from the original uh, film. Mm. So like the backstairs of and the fact that she's wearing the same dress with a red sash on it. Um, and then Ansel Elgort wasn't a big fan of him as Tony. Um, <laughs> so there we are. I thought um, Ariana DeBoss was uh, good as Anita. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've never seen the original. I'm also familiar with some of the, the songs, but... I, I didn't mind it. I just found it quite forgettable. The question is, did they really need to remake this? 
all you've done is taken elements from the 60s film and just put your gloss and polish and but again did we really need this no i mean like that was one of the things that my friend who was with me at the time said he said i'd really like to see the list of all the people who asked for this (laughs) 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 because i was like "Mm -mm, this is a no bueno like i am not doing this like no Uh, (laughs) even though obviously I I watch it to the end but yeah that's it for me for like my worst film experiences of the last year so what would you call your best then Um, well do you want to start with your best film of the year uh, let's do it in reverse order what was your favourite film of the last year hmm that's tricky because I'm going to say something mildly contentious that's not like you and, yeah. and that was well <laughs> and that was funny enough no time to die Ooh, <gasps> wow oh very surprised <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah. yeah i can't believe that i'm saying that myself but really <laughs> no time to die was my favorite film of well, last year just um, think about it emo somewhere somewhere some josh is screaming josh is screaming. <laughs> <laughs> But the reason for that and the reason why No Time to Die really did it for me was actually because it was the reverse of what happened with West Side Story. I came in expecting to be angry. And then I got out at the end and I was just like, I needed that. Thank you. It had a lot of the same Bond clichésisms and, you know, the bad guy with the convoluted plots that anyone who thinks for five seconds realizes that this is probably going to fail. <laughs> and, you know, yes. a bunch of other stuff like that. But I like the fact that they took James Bond in a very different direction. No Bond film before that had ever stopped to, like, analyze Bond as a person. I mean, this was the first time that they actually showed that Bond had, like, signs and symptoms of PTSD. Mm-hmm. They've never really mm-hmm. touched on Bond as a character in that sort of light before. And because of that, that's what really won me over. Because I could get away from thinking about the action sequences and the fight scenes and the gunshots and the cool cars and, and the driving and the chasings and all of that. And could actually just focus on like James Bond as this person caught in this web of constant conflict, really. And then trying to manage that as well as his... Um, effectiveness as well as you know being as the threat of losing his role like there are themes around like expectations of masculinity etc etc but ultimately it was really like almost a character profile of bond and that's why i really liked no time to die it wasn't even about the action sequences and all that other nonsense it was that personable character focus that's why it was my best film and it was my best film from a franchise that I have not liked for a long time. So, my yeah. God. I actually thought it was a, re- a really good Bond film. And what I really liked about it, particularly with the Daniel Craig ones, is it sort of completed his story as Bond. Like the first one with Casino mm. Royale was where he became a double O agent and became, you know, the spy we all love. And this the end of his, his story in his chapter. And I thought mm. it, it, it was a really great arc of his story and, and like you said you explored yeah. his character a bit more and his personality and, and all the in the impacts of of what he's gone through on on his life yeah. and everything so yeah i thought it was really good and, and a great supporting cast as well yeah, exactly yeah hmm. i think other than um brammy malik's character which i know we talked about on that particular <laughs> podcast i actually <laughs> 
just because he, he was... And I know at the end of the day, it's in a sense, it's continuing a, in my opinion, long overdue, needed to be changed uh, tradition of Bond villains. I mean, I, I, to be fair, I love the monologuing. I just find that so funny, you know, the... Uh, most people can't deal with freedom. I'm just doing what all human nature does. You know all this stuff. I, I, I could. But that's I, what makes villains really great. Is a great monologue. No, I do, he just. I love it. Oh, it's, it's campy and it's it's funny. Just get. I, I think I think that it's such a contrast to the other things that they're doing in the film, which I am yeah, trying true. to deconstruct this particular character of Bond and trying to give him a heart and trying to give him <laughs> trying to give him feelings and and yeah. a sense of responsibility and move it on. I do think it was quite brave what they did at the end. I do think some of the action sequences are really, really good. The beginning I think yeah. is brilliant mm-hmm. with the car. Yeah. Some of the music I think is great. Yeah, it's it, one of the great opening sequences. Yeah, I, I think, as I say, the only thing I'd say is I think it swung a bit too wild at times between doing that grittiness and then having some of the slightly more almost cartoonish sequences, like when they go to Santiago. Yeah. And that was a, a little bit silly. And yeah. the Blofeld stuff with him in the... I mean, we were that, there in yeah, cinema. That, that was the, absolutely yeah. hilarious. That was the only part of the film I really didn't like. It was very cheesy and unnecessary. Hello, James. But here's the thing, right? (laughs) That's kind of what I mean by James Bond has this history and tradition of cartoonish villains, and they had that as well in this one. So I was, for me, that was like part of the furniture. I wasn't even bothered anymore. I just like the fact that they took it away from that being the point of the movie. Because usually that's what it is. It's the point, like the point of the movie is that there's this bad guy who that James has to stop by any means necessary. And in as much as that was still part of the premise here, there was also a little more time spent on actual character exploration, trying to showcase the very real motives and things that drove James Bond to be who he was. And I thought that was fantastic. Mm. So for me, it just the clashes between these two sides, which you could argue is always going to be an issue with Bond because of what people want from Bond. Like when we talked about it on that podcast, you're always going to deal with the fact that this is a heightened fantasy. Uh, These are, there's lots of silliness and campiness and so on that's in Mm. it anyway. And also people just want the vicarious, like Fav talked about and like Josh talked about, this vicarious experience of walking around the world doing these in you know in my opinion quite outrageous things and it felt like okay the film is trying to dig into the okay what would make a character like this work i mean what would be the consequences for him and then you've got the silly hydra whatever the hell it was virus thing going through people's veins and like if you touch yeah. a person they're dead or something like that and yeah, yeah. and then you got the silly you know willy wonkers evil villain base and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but I love all that. It's, you know, the typical... No, but that's tropes. what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. I just think that there's always going to be this between these yeah. two things that, for me, Casino Royale, which we talked about, managed to really balance quite well. Yeah. And this yeah. one, it wasn't as good as that. 
I think my favourite part of the film is actually... Um, I'm still talking about this, are we? Le- Lashana. Lynch. <laughs> I thought, you think that was the best bit of the film? No, I thought her character was, was fantastic. I loved, I, I loved her character as well. She was yeah. super yeah. cool. As, as soon as she had great presence on the screen, she was just yeah. class. I hope she appears more in, in future James Bonds or even has her own separate spin-off series. I think that would be great. Mm. I think she's, she's yeah. cool. I want to see more of her. Okay. Seeing as you have the floor, what was your best film of last year? Okay. So I don't know if you saw it, but it's called Supernova. No. Okay. So it's a great, really personal, really intimate love story between Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. Um, So that's a a gay couple. You know, they've been together for a long time. They're traveling around England in a camper van. They go to the Lake District. And the whole point is to sort of their final journey, the final sort of moments together, because Stanley Tucci's character has early onset dementia. And it's it's a really difficult struggle, you know, how you cope with this in the relationship, the impact it has on friends and wider family. Um, and it's just so touching, so moving. You would be in tears by the end of this film. It was... It was beautiful, actually, to watch, and it really takes a turn, which sort of comes out the blue, and you don't expect it, and then it's just painful. And and you know, being in that sort of position, like how do you cope with you know with someone you love who's going through this? How do you cope with what's going to happen afterwards? You know, all those memories, and and also knowing that you have dementia as well, you're going to be a completely different person. You're going to forget everyone and forget the person you love it's just it was quite heartbreaking in, in moments and, and the end of it it just it pulls your heart out yeah it, it really stuck with me really stuck with me and so intimate both of them were fantastic it's yeah. just so touching for me seeing Colin he, he does a lot of he's done a mixture of sort of period dramas romantic comedies he's done like spy things he usually plays this quite uptight you know stiff upper lip British, you know, yeah. company, you know. <laughs> and um, to see him in this, it was just incredible. And the two of them together, just so tender, but then also there's clearly friction in the relationships, and it really drags you through it. I mean, every difficult emotional decision that they're having to make, I just think is is so well played. The, the silence is in the film as much as what's said. Oh, yeah. You know, like him with his family and stuff. It's an incredible, incredible film. Definitely in my sort of top for the year. But like you said, Alan, I can't say any better. Really. And, a beautiful and, film. You know, sometimes when you watch a film and it's got a high-profile actor like Colin Firth, you're conscious that you're watching Colin Firth. A performer. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, you you was totally immersed in, in the characters and the story utterly believable and they were just fantastic really really good outstanding film okay james right so i've found this really really difficult to narrow down to one film that i would say was the best of last year there's probably like three or four that i just have kept sort of jostling over and i just have to say that my favorite film of the year was mortal kombat No, <laughs> no. I think my favourite film for last year was a film called First Cow by uh, okay. Kelly Reichardt. And um, 
The beginning of the film is set in the 20th century and uh, some people uncover two uh, skeletons are lying next to each other. It goes back, I think, at least a couple of hundred years and you see who these two people are. And it's about a Jewish baker who strikes up a friendship with a uh, Chinese man and they decide to, to work together to create these cookies. Where they get the milk is from a cow that is owned by the landowner, the British landowner played by Toby Jones, who I just think is just wonderfully grotesque in this. It's an unvarnished look at frontier life, the various kinds of people that are there, the difficulties of the the level of risk in order just to survive and then what they bring to the people in these settlements. And also understanding the dynamics between the landowners... Uh, there's depictions of the Native American. You get an idea of the, the power dynamics there. But even just the way it's filmed, you feel like you're immersed into this world. I thought it was just a very atmospheric, very evocative film. And I have to say that it really moved me. Oh, God. <laughs> I refuse to laugh at that joke. Yeah, I, I that, was, that was probably... I mean... As I say, I'd, we'll do some honourable mentions, but that one for me was, uh, I thought it was really, really good. I thought i thought it was a really good film. Like you said, it was very immersive. It's quite gritty. It was, like you said, un, I think unvarnished is the great word. It was muddy, it was dirty. It's not the romanticised version of, of the West or, or the frontier is often portrayed. I think the slow pace of the film was actually perfect. It was very intentional that way of life you know things weren't fast and rapid you know it took a long time for things to get through like supplies and stuff and you you saw that I thought it was a really good film I wouldn't have said it was one of my favorites it was definitely it was good it was just um it got a bit tedious I felt in some areas when you look at some of the other films um, that look at the frontier I think the power of the dog perhaps was was a better depiction of that and more engaging. But it was a good quality film. Like, I, I don't want to trash it. It was, it was. I did enjoy it. That's fair. You told me at the time it was your favourite. I'm <laughs> 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 no, only joking. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's one of those films right. you have to be in the mood to see it. Yeah, that's another thing. Like sitting down to mm. it the first maybe five minutes. Yeah. And you're realising, oh, there's not a lot going on. But I think it was mm. that slow unravelling of, of why these two skeletons were there, who these mm. people were. And I think where Power of the Dog, I think, about the established frontier, this is looking at that kind of founding mythos yeah. of wh- who yeah. was there, what role did they play, also how tricky those relationships were going to be. Because you were never really sure about the two of them. Were they really in this together? The Jewish guy, you just think, well, there's there's an enormous amount of sort of naivety here. Like, he just seems to be very open. And you think, oh, God, is he going to get like, mm-hmm. shafted by the end of it? I think the difference, you know, the power of the dog, you had these grand vistas and landscapes, mm. and you got that scale of the West, whereas this one, and I'm not sure exactly where it was set, but it's, it was far more... Claustrophobic. Claustrophobic. You had the, the environment around you and, like, the smoky villages and, and things that you know have been built up and you didn't really get to see like the scale because everything was like so, so yeah. very claustrophobic mm-hmm. you know it was it was really interesting right um it was good oh. depiction actually okay 
So now we're down to section three, which is favorite film review from the podcast. So um, uh, I will give this first to our guests, seeing mm. as he's a listener. So he will tell us what his favorite is before we go to ours as the people who have actually done it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so purely for for the drama, for the comedy... <laughs> Um, I I was Cruella because I was <laughs> I listening like oh that. my god these are, are these two going to be friends anymore is this podcast coming to an end <laughs> I, it was fantastic I loved it and then at the end I think I, I spoke to James afterwards like what the hell happened there <laughs> but no that, I'm only I'm, it just just by jest I thought that, that was good fun but I think my my favourite sort of podcast was the James Bond series mm-hmm. I thought it was really mm. good having um, your friends come on who so passionate, knowledgeable about the films. I've definitely learned something. Definitely got me thinking about the James Bond franchise in a, a different way. I think the thing with oh. the Cruella one, just for the record, is, is <laughs> like we, we spoke for about... It was about an hour afterwards, like, continue yes. speaking about the film in a very sort of calm and moderate, and like, I understand what you're saying, you understand what I'm saying. When it came to editing it, there was just nothing on the tape. We literally just yes, scored Yes, I went just like... Yeah, yeah it, there was an abrupt end yeah. to the podcast, wasn't there? Yeah. It's like, okay. Was like... <laughs> this, this podcast was nice. 16 was episodes. <laughs> What's really funny was I was actually almost also tempted to say that my favorite podcast episode was the Cruella episode. Yeah. Just, because, <laughs> just because it was such high drama. Why are we both so, like, upset? <laughs> even though, like, honestly, we, we weren't even that, like... I don't think we were actually upset at all. We were no. just talking very spiritedly. And I wish the recording had actually continued after we shot yes, off. Yes. Because yeah. the conversation we had after we recorded the podcast would have been a better podcast than the yes. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have had the drama. So, no, I know. Exactly. Because that other conversation was like way more like a regular discussion. And yes. then what everyone else got to hear was like this high drama version of like an event which was really 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 funny to me but it's very appropriate like the character of Cruella like we talked about is such a you know, yeah. theatrical you know histrionic sort of person that that it suited it what people don't understand it it was an actual performance that we yes. both worked out beforehand <coughs> and realised that <laughs> We were trying to create drama on the podcast. Yeah, we've been too clever. It's too subtle. It's too subtle. Yeah, it was. It was so subtle. We, I mean, but but I guess that goes to show how much we are good at um, acting. Uh, James, do you want to go with yours first, or should I? Uh, you go first, Emil. Okay. Um. So mine is surprise, surprise, but not so surprising. Was actually the uh, Seven Days of Spider Man. I loved Seven Days of Spider Man for a very simple reason. It was like I think. One, the content was quick. Was interesting. <laughs> yes. Like, no, first of all, the content was like interesting because yeah. Spider-Man for me held such a very strong, like, nostalgic power, really. Of all the nostalgic films we've discussed, I would say Spider-Man actually probably has the strongest nostalgic value to me. I loved those first films, especially the Tobey Maguire ones, and then everything that followed after that was just a nice follow-on, like different tellings of the story. I have really, 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 really fond memories of um, Into the Spider-Verse. And I was so happy that we got to talk about that. And then all of that leading up to like the actual movie that we saw, which the actual movie experience was so worth it in the end. Yeah, the entire 70s of Spider-Man 
um, section, which actually ended up being nine days, really, was awesome. But also, like you said, from like a podcast production perspective, it was so quick. Like <laughs> we knew yes. what we needed to say. <laughs> we knew what we needed to say. We said it quickly yeah. and we moved. And you know how much I love that efficiency. You know, <laughs> so, so, I, I really yeah. enjoyed the Spider-Man ones as well. I think from a listener's perspective, you could just binge listen. Yeah, and yeah, it, and it yeah. was really good. For fun like because um i've not seen any of the andy garfield ones Mm -hmm. so it's good to listen Mm -hmm. to that and you know have that sort of comparison into the spider-verse is my favorite spider-man film and and, easily yeah yeah and the toby Maguire ones is you know he has set the bar for um superhero films turning point in in film but yeah i really enjoyed the spider-man podcast i thought that was good (laughs) really good james now the spotlight is on you okay i think my favorite probably Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no, my no, my favourite without a doubt was the first of the Bond ones that we did, uh, just because you know not everyone had met before. Before, so I'd never spoken to Fab. Emor had never spoken to Josh. Fab had never spoken to Josh. So I think that before we started recording, we just didn't know what was going to happen, and it's just that it hit off immediately. And I think a lot of the fun, the jokes, like you said, the passion for these two as Bond aficionados, like grew up with it, loved it, etc. To have them on rather than just me and Emor sort of being dissenting about it and and so on. (laughs) It was just a lot of fun to record. I think a lot came out in terms of the discussions that we were having about it that led very nicely into the next few. And then obviously finally into going to see No Time to Die. It was nice to have those different voices in there to sort of argue yeah. with us and, and challenge and so on. So it was just great fun. And also by the end of it, it was just very drunk. So <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, I would say that's probably attached to why No Time to Die was my favourite film. Because even talking mm. about No Time to Die was also one of my favourite of the podcasting experiences as well. Um, also because that was one of the first times we had done it live um, mm, that's yes. the two of us in person and that was incredible you know it was just nice to all be in the same space to actually be speaking and you know being able to see all the stuff like the visual cues and you know knowing when not to um, interrupt someone and stuff like that that was funny for the podcast episodes there have been so many great ones and I think that will segue nicely into the honorable mentions I can talk about so many different episodes and films. So I would begin with, first of all, Harry Potter 5 and 6. I think we did that one live and I cried. It was so funny because before we got to the latter episode, that was my favorite episode that we had done. After that, I would say another honorable mention would be, um, unironically, Mortal Kombat. I like the fact that we got in, like we were done with that review in like 20 minutes. Yeah, we literally got, I think it's on the recording itself. We just said, nothing left to say about this film. Then, yeah, there's nothing left to say about this film. Like, like we're what done now. What else is there left to say? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, we came into this film and we both said, well, the film is not great. But we would give it a pass because it did its best with what it was trying to do, which was trying to adapt a video game into a movie. And it was obviously like fan service, really. It worked out well for what it was supposed to be. The story was relatively straightforward. There was no frills to it. And it was very easy to review. Another honorable mention 
for me, just because of the state of affairs, and also what came out of that podcast as well, was Hannibal Rising. Loved Hannibal Rising, <laughs> the recording. Remember that one? When we were both hungover. Oh my god, yes. We, we both woke up hungover and were just like, yeah, let's just fucking do this. <laughs> but, the, but the great irony of that episode is when yeah. we started to get into some of the themes and how that reflected on the rest of the series but it, it's a pretty but good it was, prequel yeah actually yeah and that's kind of why i liked that episode as well because i know how it was when we came into it you know mm. with all the um, opinions we had about the um, hannibal franchise especially that film with respect to the rest of the franchise but then when we actually got to talking about it we ended up exploring some quite interesting novel territory and we did mm. all this while Hungover, so that just <laughs> yeah, doing that it just kind of literally, exactly, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that just kind of makes it a win. Finally, on the honorable mentions, the Mummy Three. Oh God! <laughs> not because we, not because it was a great film, but because both of us were just like we are laying into this. Like <laughs> that was the first time when I got to not be the bitch. Like we, we were both the bitch at the same time. <laughs> An incredible piece of work. That, <laughs> An incredible piece of work. In, like at, in China. Yeah, that's what it's said in China. Oh, yeah. yeah, pivoted yeah. to China and well. That's exactly. And no one no one could save it. Not 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 single. No, one nothing could have saved that film. It was it was such a mess. <laughs> Maybe Jonathan a little bit, but you know, poor Jet Li, poor Michelle Yeoh no. again. No, uh, just like, no no one could save it. It was dead. No, it was not it. <laughs> it is. But anyway, that's the end of my um, honourable mentions. I think our honourable mentions are slightly different in terms of other films that we saw this year. Both of us have been saying that there was so much good that was out there. And so I'm going to maybe do a couple of films that I thought are definitely worth people checking out this year from last year. The first one I would say is Minari. It stars Stephen Yeun. It's about a Korean immigrant who decides to start a... Uh, farm so there's a farm theme here in my best of the year but yeah it's just about identity especially in terms of what you where you've come from and what you're working towards Uh, there's generational things but I think at the heart of it is a relationship between him and his wife that you do start to question and say well you know have you guys just reached the end of the road with this is there just too much risk involved in terms of what he's trying to do, is he moving in a different direction to his wife? I just thought it was a really heartwarming, difficult at times. Some of the tensions in the film are very real. I think the grandma who's in it is wonderfully comedic. I thought it was brilliant. I would really recommend seeing that. And then the other film that I want to mention is an animation called The Summit of the Gods, which is based on a manga series adapted by a French director into, I think, a phenomenal animation. It's about a Japanese journalist who follows mountain climbers. Uh, And there's a whole thing about Mallory, that the guy who went up Everest, and whether they could find out whether he reached the top or not. He gets caught up in looking for another Japanese mountain climber uh, who's sort of been disgraced. But I liked the discussion within the film which is somewhat inconclusive about why do people do this sort of thing? 
Like, why are people going up these mountains? And what yeah. does it mean once that threshold has been crossed? They can never really answer this slightly irrational, almost spiritual question. I just think from the point of view of being swept up into an experience with, the, as I say, the animation style and um, the music. And there are some really tense moments in the film as well. I mean, obviously, with a, with a mountain climbing, you're always dealing with this idea of putting someone into a highly precarious position. And they do yeah. that brilliantly. So, yeah, it's on Netflix. And I would definitely check it out. Yeah, I would just echo that. There's a particular scene where they're discussing what would you do in a situation where you've got to make a decision, like, is it your life or the other person's life or both of your lives? And he's very blasé about it. And like, you know, you just cut the rope. And then he's put in that situation later. And obviously not going to spoil it. But um, it is very tense and very powerful. And the animation is, is fantastic. It's your turn. Oh, okay. So I, I found there's quite a common theme throughout a lot of films um, last year. Human fortitude and, and endurance um, and how you adapt or cope or, you know, survive in life or the challenges that life might throw at you or the obstacles that you might face in life. So, you know, you mentioned Minari and it's around an immigrant community trying to make it in Midwest America. And then you've got First Cow and, and Power of the Dog, you know, surviving on the frontier coping in those situations and you know i've mentioned supernova but there was a father as well i thought that was a fantastic film of, around dementia how you cope with people who have dementia surviving um you've missed a bit out on your script there well just, <laughs> i've got my notes in front of me it's not a script um another film we saw natural light um mm. based in eastern europe these soldiers and, and the villagers how you cope that was very brutal decisions people have to make and then you've got the sort of reverse as well like i'm your man it was a german film it was very funny but again it's about how you cope in a system where you can be dissociated from other people or you know that sort of isolation in society and how you build relationships and so yeah i just that that was a sort of common theme that was that was running through um, I don't know whether it speaks to our times with the pandemic and, and austerity and populism and everything that's going on. My honourable mention is um, an Argentinian film called Azor. And this is about a private banker who travels from Switzerland to Argentina during the 1980s. And this is a period of of the dictatorship, the dirty war going on. And it's a sort of a thriller mystery. He tried to trying to find what happened to his partner who sort of mysteriously disappeared and it is again about how do you cope and how do you adapt in that situation he's trying to ingratiate himself with the powerful and the and the elites and having to maybe compromise on mm-hmm. his morality to you know actually just survive and, and make a living and i found it really immersive you didn't really know where it was going there was almost sort of a heart of darkness to it towards the end as he's trying to find out what's happened to his partner and trying to make connections you know to, you know he's a banker essentially he's, all he's trying to do is, is make a bit of money at the end mm. of the day he, he you know goes to gentlemen's clubs and meets like priests and generals and it's all very you have to put your morals to the side and where you compromise on on certain aspects yeah. and i found it quite interesting like what would you do in that situation and yeah i found it quite a 
quite a subtle film. You know, it wasn't in your face. I really enjoyed that. I'd say it was my honourable mention of the year. Yeah, I think with us all, I mean, I wasn't as positive as you were about it, but I definitely think the thing that came through was the atmosphere. It was just unbelievably grubby. You were never really sure whether he was getting anywhere, but you could definitely see that there was this moral collapse within him thought him and the wife were just this great team as well mm. um, but also looking at her issues about being a, a woman amongst these other women who had particular ambitions but then expectations stifled and so on I think I'd like to see Azor again uh, just to probably engage with it a bit more I think it's on movie if, if people do yeah. want to watch that and then I suppose that last 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 one which I would say is probably an honourable mention slash guilty pleasure because it was a lot of fun to go and see, even though it's filled with a degree of stereotyping, a degree of toxic masculinity, is uh, Nobody with oh, Bob Odenkirk yes. and Christopher Lloyd. It's one of those films that is just a complete parody, even though I don't think it's trying to be, of the hard man, like the solo, silent type. And Bob Odenkirk, who he's usually known as this uh, quite slimy lawyer type character, plays Clint Eastwood meets Liam Neeson, and it's just an absolute hoot. And the soundtrack, the soundtrack, yeah, the way that when they drop the needle on certain things, what makes you say it's very like a parody or a satire is because a lot of these men feel like they're dragged into. These things, because, you know, like Liam Neeson is, you know, you, you take my wife, I take your life. Yeah. That's his kind of modus operandi. The thing you notice about Bob Odenkirk is he's waiting for the opportunity to go batshit mad. He's been yeah, waiting yeah. for an excuse. And it's just, as I say, it's a mixture of absolutely terrible, terrible, terrible things he's doing, but done in this manner that you think, yes, this is just pure satire. Everything that's set up has a payoff. It's a nice short, like it's a real just punch of this stuff. I don't think they need to do any more. Any, they don't need nobody two, nobody three. Don't do it. It was, it was one of those films you walked out and you just thought, wow, it's been a complete hoot. Yeah, you know, and because usually, as as I think you've got the idea from uh, Alan's monologue uh, that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That um, we often go and see films about, yeah, people on the edge, fortitude and humanity and so on. So to go and see something was just unabashedly stupid and very suspect. What I liked about it is, you know, when when you see beaten thugs up on the bus <laughs> and stuff, part of you's like, yeah, you want to jump out your seat? Yeah, I want to do that as well. But obviously, obviously you can't. But, you know, when you see a bunch of thugs coming on the bus you do want to smash their face in but you know you can't so this was a bit of a fantasy it was great yeah what is it about this podcast email where people just reveal their inner fantasies (laughs) no i think i think every time we have fav on it's all his sexual you know yes uh, (laughs) we're halfway between film review and uh, therapy so yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is a confessional Don't you ever get those moments where you see idiots and you just want to punch them in the face? No, I don't. No, no, just just me then. No, really, really, really do not. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to cut that bit because if we put you on again, you say, oh, we'll do Star Wars, and they go, well, you're having that guy who wants to beat up people on your show. (laughs) 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 Cancelled. Well, this has been this has been very illuminating. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, I would definitely say this is a real popcorn muncher. If you just want something you're going to go switch off for, yeah, I'd do this. And and uh, performance in it, you know, Bob Odenkirk, who you just don't expect, plays it really well, as is yeah. uh, Christopher Lloyd, who's just brilliant as this, like, gun-toting grandpa. Oh, I forgot Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd in, uh, yeah he was fantastic. He was, he was great fun. Maniac. That's a nice note to end on. Do we think we'll have Alan on again? Uh, we'll have to deliberate, yeah. We'll have to, like, discuss wow. it yeah. after he's gone. We'll have to debate this yeah. one. Yeah. It's been very yeah. revealing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought yeah, I was bringing the bit of class. That kind of... Well, that's actually interesting. You had, as I say, your very erudite, very eloquent speech about, you know, rounding up the year, thematics and connecting it to contest. And then in the last two minutes, you just proved yourself to be a complete thug. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremes with you, isn't it? Uh, well, yes. you never know what you're getting, you know? Yeah, you know what you're yeah. <laughs> You should always suspect the quiet ones. <laughs> uh, that brings us very nicely to the end of this year in review podcast. Um, obviously, we spoke about a lot of stuff we've not reviewed on the actual podcast, but that's stuff for any listener who is interested to go see. Um, I'm actually definitely going to see a couple of those because I haven't seen some of those films either. And oh, thank uh, you. yeah, that, Thanks, Alan. I mean, we have joked about it, but actually, thanks yeah, for no, being no, here. It's been wonderful. Um, <laughs> thank you for inviting me on. No you worries. And, and thank you for inspiring this entire podcast because we actually yes. wouldn't even be here without you and your um, lease. So um, there's that. Yeah, well, uh, it's mainly my partner. He was the one who sort of suggested the idea, I think. So uh, he's yeah, the one to Yeah, but like you and um, Humphy Boy are like BFFs and shit. So like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm his long-suffering cinema friend. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Just long-suffering so, friend. Yeah. So, so that's how our lives ended up like and intersecting, which is yeah. what's produced this marvel that we have today. So, um. <laughs> and can we also just thank the listeners? That didn't yeah, sound thank very you. sincere. Can we thank, yeah, no, thank everyone who's listened so far this year? Thank you so much yeah. for listening. Thank you so um, much. It's... And we hope you enjoy everything that's coming up this year because we are staying for the long term. Yeah, we are staying for the long term. Like this, did I think at, at first we actually thought like, how long are we going to do this? And then suddenly we're on episode forty-two. But <laughs> wow, has it been that many? Yeah, forty-two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought you said you listened to all of them. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, oh, we will see and you. And the in band's turned up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>